Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sci-Fi Unchained. Thank you all for joining in on the fun and speculation. And if you like the show, please join our social media and support us on Patreon at Sci-Fi Unchained Stories to help the channel grow. And thank you all for your avid listenership. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another special episode of Sci-Fi Unchained. I'm joined by my good buddy, Zach Nanimous. What's going on, Zach? Uh, not much. Uh, they they remade Dune for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's see if we can't figure out that reason. <laughs> I think we might have to wait until part two. Um, and, you know, from the get-go, because that's one of the first things that we see in the movie is part one. And it was not advertised to be a part one. It was just advertised as Dune, right? Uh-huh. So I'm kind of happy about that. It's one of this movie's very few redeeming qualities uh-huh. that they decided to flesh out an 800-page novel into two parts uh, so they don't have to cut out everything that's important now mind yeah. you they, they cut out a lot that's important to the beginning of the story um but i i think in an effort to keep as much as they can in a two and a half hour two two hour 45 minute runtime making it a two-parter was a smart move oh yeah it really was and the the biggest thing is that uh, I, I actually watched uh, I, I watched Dune eighty three I think is when that movie came out mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, the first one um, uh, with uh, with Courtney not long ago and she was left with so many questions uh, <laughs> because the the movie goes at a breakneck speed um, like it's it's like the cliff notes of the first of the first like half of the book. And then they do the rest of it in like 20 minutes. Um, and there's there's stuff that like I was like, oh, look, they're explaining that. Oh, look, they're explaining that. Um, but on top of that, there's a lot of stuff that they didn't get to, but it's not like a big deal, I don't think. Like uh, they don't explain what a mintat is. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. Uh, I'm still I'm. Um, I'm still not sure what the weirding way is. Is it karate? Is it what they call karate? Uh, it is psychic Jewish magic. Okay. Uh, martial arts. I'm down for that. That that uh, and it also involves throat powers, like vocal vocal powers that you you're ta- use. You're, you're talking your about. Uh, you're you're talking you're talking about Hungarian throat singing. Yes. Okay. Very fun. Very fun music. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's fun for you to sing with your throat like that, or is it fun to use throats? You know what? Not going there. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, real real quick, tooth. Well, a, a couple of things. Let Let's get everything that we dislike out of the way first. Okay. Um, because I think this might take up the majority of of the episode. Um, All right, I have a really big, important one. Okay, um, a big stinky. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the Mentax. Now, 
for that, this is a, a great example of one of those hard decisions I can see the uh, writers having to make. It's like, well, we could explain what the Mentax are, but then we have to explain uh, what the Jihad was that uh, had the Imperium wipe out all of the AI because of the silicone plague um, that was corrupting them and, and making them abort babies. Um, and we eventually got to a point where we could train humans to uh, sort of act in, in the way that these thinking machines would have worked. Yeah. And it's a really smart thing to do on on the part of Frank Herbert because it, it you, you got to remember this story was written in the 60s. He had no idea the the kind of advancements technologies would have 60 years down the road, right? So mm-hmm. he it's it's a really smart way for him to kind of weasel out of having to come up with a whole convoluted universe full of uh, of uh, techno babble and he can Oh sure. He can use other things to kind of fill in the gaps. Like and you look at something like Star Trek, um, for uh, for example, and um, it's l- like one of the most charming things about it. And so this may, may maybe we maybe we missed out on something kind of cute and funny. But then again, Dune wasn't really going for cute or funny. Um, is True. that the futuristic computers in the original 1964 Star Trek? Uh, that's not that's not how how computers work. <laughs> we didn't make the we didn't make the magnetic tape smaller we switched to a completely <laughs> different format yeah so it it allowed frank herbert to use these other things to kind of explain how this galaxies spanning Im- empire works right mm-hmm. he uses religious orders uh there's the the hierarchy of all of these houses uh, that that make up sort of the the imperial court, right? Yeah. And it, I, I think it's really really fun because it's it's kind of a trope of storytelling that has pervaded sci-fi universes since. Um, like the the thought of like a a ruling um, monarch type system uh, governing a a galaxy spanning empire right like star wars like uh the the starcraft universe i don't know if you're familiar with that but i i I don't know a little bit i'm i'm uh more well versed in uh warhammer 40k yeah i was about to mention warhammer 40k (laughs) yeah which is probably my favorite one of all of those and i think the one that's most similar to dune honestly (laughs) you're probably right yeah if if we jump into uh paul atreides powers and uh his his growth after he becomes the emperor you know spoiler warning but hey he wins um he's as akin to the emperor from warhammer as any other leader in a major sci-fi universe i think Mm -hmm. um and i've done a comparison between him and emperor palpatine and i think he would wipe the floor with palpatine if if he wasn't careful um, I actually don't know much beyond the the Dune, the first book. I don't know. I don't know much beyond it at all. Um, so I, he gets he gets even better karate later on. Oh, Paul Atreides, yes. Okay, because that so, was one of the things that I kind of liked about Dune was uh-huh. that um, there wasn't like uh, the Force 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that they, I know they have their mystical powers, but they are exactly that they're mystical. And mm-hmm. so like you have to peer beneath the surface in order to, uh, in order to really understand them. And um, they could easily be mistaken for something else, uh, right. for, uh, for something more, uh, more explicable um, instead of, you know, Oh, I'm, uh, I can, uh, I can very obviously mind trick you. I can jump, uh, I can jump 30 feet in the air and have a laser sword, you know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, one thing I wanted to say, you were talking about, you know, avoiding having to explain the future on Frank Herbert's part. One thing I think that this movie, the 2021 movie does really well uh, is it didn't go crazy with like, oh, it's the future. And so everything looks like Stark tech from the Avengers because everything looked like that in movies for a while. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything was a hologram. Everything was this blue sheen. Um, and, you know, they don't have sophisticated computers. They don't use them. Mm-hmm. And so you look inside their ornithopters and they have this uh, equipment that looks like it's straight out of like World War II. Right. And I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was really smart. Yeah. A lot of stuff is very analog um, that in it, it is really smart because it's, it's something that we as an audience can view into a, a sci-fi universe that's set tens of thousands of years in the future and go, Oh, look, that looks like something out of a, a, chopper that flew over vietnam or something oh look i could do that yeah yeah <laughs> there's there's a, a unspoken sense of connectivity that the audience is allowed to have because uh-huh. it's not just a whole bunch of red and blue buttons that have no markings or indicators of what they do on them like you uh-huh. see in star wars or star trek or just in a straight up alien language sure which happens a lot so okay. go, pulling pulling back to what we disliked for a second um the, the biggest one, and this is this took three minutes for them to do, and it just kind of hung over the rest of the movie for me. Uh, they mispronounce Harkonnen. Are you sure? Yes. What makes you so sure? Because that's how everyone else says it. Who says it? Is that Everybody. how is that how Frank L. Baum says it? I don't know. But I'm pretty Sorry, sure they mispronounce Frank Herbert. I I don't I don't think. He says, Harkonnen. Harkonnen. No. Why can't it be Harkonnen? I kind of no. like Harkonnen. No. It sounds, <laughs> like a, sounds like a spearing, like a fishing spear. Harkonnen sounds like a surfer dude. It's like, oh, it's Harkonnen's. All Harkonnen. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Baron Harkonnen. Why are you so fat, bruh? <laughs> Fly, <laughs> flying through the court. Kill, killing slaves. That uh. he, he was one probably one of the th- one of the things I enjoyed the most about this movie was was Baron Harkonnen, um, mostly because of who they get to play him. Uh, yeah, that that's Stellan Skarsgård guy. Yeah, he's enjoyable in almost anything I see him in. I. I found him endlessly boring compared to the uh, uh, compared to the Baron Harkonnen that I'm used to, to be quite honest. Well, the the Baron Harkonnen that we had <laughs> in the previous iterations was big and gross, and he was fun to look at, right? Now this one, he's less gross. He's still big, but 
the hamminess is pretty fun for me. I didn't I didn't see the hamminess. I think this was pretty as as subdued as the rest of the movie, to be quite honest, which I did find the movie subdued in more ways than one. I I thought it was like the the for the most part, all of the actors were not too emotionally invested. And the score, which I found very beautiful, it it didn't it had no levels. It didn't peak and valley. It it stayed at a bomb kind of a kind of a feel for the entirety of the movie. It was that way at the beginning whenever House Atreides is being given Arrakis, it, it had that like big, larger than life um, makes the scene feel very important kind of music behind it, which is fine. But then whenever House Atreides is getting attacked by uh, the Harkonnens and the Emperor's forces, the music doesn't change that much in in tone or in feel or intensity. It's kind of the well, same. They used uh, normally this would be called a light motif. I'm going to call it a ten ton motif um, that they they call they call back to the shrieking bagpipes that became important to the to the House Atreides branding about halfway through the movie, uh, which I didn't dislike. Um, but we we uh, we we touched on cast for a second. I, I meant to, I meant to say this a while ago because you were talking about people who don't seem invested. Um, my biggest problem with this movie has got to be Timothy Chalamet. I don't like him as Paul. Uh, I'm sure. And the thing, every time I critique somebody's performance, I like to say that I'm sure. That they that they are a fine actor, but one of two things happened. Um, they are the kind of actor that needs a director to tell them how big to go, or the director told them stop going so big and pulled him all the way back down to this what is essentially like a really bland. Uh, Nicholas Cage impersonation. I don't know if you got that from him, but he feels a lot like when Nicholas Cage is just, you know, trying to calm down for a second. Uh, so, National Treasure Nicholas Cage instead of Face Off Nicholas Cage. Precisely. Got you. <laughs> um, the the one thing I liked about um, T- Timothy, however you say his last name, um, being Paul is he's actually he, he actually looks like a boy he actually looks like a young boy who tread lightly weirdo is, he's supposed to be a young boy in the book <laughs> I, know, I know he's supposed to be like 13 14 years old in the book that was 15 in, in, like a okay. solid 15 okay sure in in the ballpark right yeah in all of the other iterations he's been like in his 20s well sure because they wanted luke skywalker that's what, that's what they wanted. Yeah. yeah. In in the in the one that came out in the 80s, it's exactly is the hair, right? It's the it's the brown swoop. The brown swoop? That that became the the model for every generic Lego man. Yeah. They prefer you not call it that though. The brown swoop? Yeah, they don't like that. They don't like the brown swoop? 
no. All right. Um, is, is it is it the uh, the uh, English American? Uh, what would what would be the the racial term for hair? The racial term for hair? I imagine that's why they don't like it. No, they don't like the they they don't they don't like the word brown. It makes it makes them think of the toilet. No, I know that's why I'm going for like regional instead of color now, right? Oh, regional. Yeah. So oh. that's that's why I'm thinking. You know, English American. Oh, okay. Well, in Brit, well, in, in Britain, they call uh, they call it the dump. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it's very different. Dump swoop. <laughs> um. Okay. The other thing uh, that I that I didn't like, and this was like, I'm gonna say this, I think this movie is okay. <laughs> I did not dislike this movie, but it had a very, very bad first impression. And that was with the, the voiceover from Zendaya. Um, not like it didn't need to be her. It, you know what? It's fine. It's fine that, uh, that it's Chani. It's fine no problems there it's actually her because like not and not everybody had a british accent in this one not everybody had a british accent in the original you don't need it to make it sound good which a lot of movies fall into that trap nothing sounds good unless it's a british accent um but she doesn't have a british she doesn't have an american accent she has an urban accent which feels so out of place and she wasn't she wasn't coached at all. The thing is, the rest of her performance is fine, but when you've got nothing to focus on but her fairly modern Gen Z, um, almost lazy way of speaking, mm-hmm. like it it undercuts what's supposed to be a real a mysterious beginning to this movie. And I just didn't think it worked. And I immediately rolled my eyes and I was like, okay, we're doing this now. Thankfully, I, the movie picked up for me. I I would have preferred the the VO to be uh, uh, Oscar Isaac's. That would have been good because uh, Oscar Isaac's playing um, the the Duke Atreides. the The first half of this no, the first third of this movie is the wrap up to his story because he gets assassinated. Mm-hmm. So it would be appropriate for him to kind of introduce the story of Dune because he's been carrying the the if if you go into the you know pre-Dune story and mythos, he's been the one carrying the the mantle of House Atreides and all the maneuverings uh, between the, the other houses and the emperor. And um, so if it would be a nice touch to the people mostly like jeremy who uh, knows all the ins and outs of what's going on before they even see the movie i could see that uh if if i were to pick somebody else i'd probably pick uh the reverend mother um because that's a character that's supposed to know the whole plot Mm -hmm. before anything happens and you know the first um in the, in the first movie, we get a lot of ex, uh, we get a lot of exposition from like an email 
that's been sent uh, to uh, to the uh, to the Emperor Padishan, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, and it's just like, hey, watch out! The Harkonnens and the Atreides are powerful. You should you should really dick them over as soon as you can. Yeah. Um, and like and, and we don't know where this information is coming from, or why it was sent now, or why the audience is seeing it. So if we got it from the Reverend Mother, and I can't remember her name. Um, just the 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 main Benny Gesserit, uh, then I think I, I think it would have made a lot of sense. That or that or Doctor Yui. Um, Doctor Yui is another big letdown because in the book he's a much more important figure. Yeah. He's he's like House one of House Atreides like ace in the whole characters. Like he's he's a big deal that he's aligned with House Atreides. In this movie, I don't really know who he is that, that much. Like, it doesn't matter. The and he doesn't, that... expl- he doesn't explain himself well either. Oh. The, the, the entire deal between uh, he and House Harkonnen is explained in a single line uh, mm-hmm. that's done in a dark, uh, in a dark room. And nothing, nothing, against, uh, nothing against the guy, but one of them has, one of them has a, fa- uh, a fairly thick accent. And the other one is Skarsgård going, rah, 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 and can't tell what's going on. Yeah, it, it, it was five seconds. It was this gray mess that was that grumbled at me for about five seconds, and I'm supposed to know what's going on. And I think I think the balance was off, and I think I know why. Uh, between the the characters that they are supposed to explain versus the characters that they don't need to explain that much because they're going to be alive later, like uh-huh. Jason Momoa's character. Um, what, what's his What's his name? Dakota. Uh, Dakota Fanning. Yes. I Duncan Idaho. Yeah. Arrakis <laughs> runs on Duncan. Yeah. Um, they, they, they got uh, Idaho russets all up in there. Um, so Duncan Idaho is this like really good fighter. And he's, he's like renowned in the Imperium for how well of a fighter he is. And he's helped train all of the Atreides guard and army and everything. So sure. He's he's like the man at arms of House Atreides, right? He's an yeah. important he's an important dude. However, this doctor guy is <laughs> arguably far more important than Duncan Idaho. And his imperial training, the fact that he was even able to like do what he did, like it, that's supposed to be something that's super cool um because he wasn't supposed to be able to portray anybody and, and like him being a sleeper agent was like a, this big thing um mm-hmm. he's supposed to be closer to paul and so it feels like a bigger portrayal um i don't know um uh speaking of duncan uh while i uh, i love jason momoa and i absolutely loved him in this movie uh i, know, I, I think i know what you're about to say what he needed they, the beard he looked great without the beard no. Very handsome. No, no, no. That's not what I thought you were about to say. What <laughs> I thought you were about to say is what I was thinking was they just walk Jason Momoa onto the set, cut the beard, and was like, "Hey, be Jason Momoa for a few hours. We, oh, we need yeah. some, we need some shots." And he was like, "All right, I could do that." Can I rock climb while I do it and talk about my weird wife? No, Jason, <laughs> you can't do that in this movie. But we'll we promise we'll let you. Like in some other property that we own. Okay, fine. 
and then he goes and be he goes to be Jason Momoa for a few hours. Yeah, and in that, if they were going to do that, honestly, they should have switched him with Josh Brolin, um, and and let him be Gurney because Gurney seems like the more fun character between the two of them. Mm. Um, and that that would have that would have made the fight more interesting because I did not like Josh Brolin in this. But here's my problem with the Jason Momoa thing. Uh, it's, uh, it was, it was just a little distracting, but I couldn't let it go until it was explained later in the movie. So Duncan Idaho is part of the advanced team. He's a week ahead of the rest of the Atreides. When the Atreides, um, catch up with him, he's learned all of these things uh, about Arrakis and the Fremen. Um, and he has some of their equipment and he's like, this is a still suit. It's a still suit. And he's like, this is... I, I don't know what do they what do they have iPads something uh, so they, they have and then he takes out a third thing and it is this cylindrical thing with a wide mouth on one end and he said this is a sand compactor and they're oh. like uh, no he's uh, no he's like and they gave me a sand compactor they're like what's a sand compactor and he pulls it out and it's this cylindrical device that fits easily in the hand. Um, and everyone shares a knowing glance and kind of laughs at it. And then they're like, you've gone native. Um, and I couldn't help but think that the sand compactor was some kind of marital aid. Oh my God. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my head. They're like, Oh, oh, oh a sand compactor. We know what that's for, <laughs> which get <laughs> in action. I see the application in the bedroom. Not gonna lie, didn't take, didn't take <laughs> Idaho to be compact. It didn't take him long to be uh, compacting. It had to pack some sand. To pack them fremens. Oh, uh, that line about washing your ass with sand. I can't imagine that. Why didn't they just bring a lot of water? That's a good question. Oh, speaking of water. <laughs> um, I did like, I, there were some things in this movie that I liked, like when uh, the, the Atreides are still on the planet that they're on before they go to Arrakis, Paul is like walking around outside and he stops by this bit of water and he puts his hand in it and there's no dialogue. It's just like soft undertone background music and him like playing around with the water. I didn't yeah. realize what they were doing till later. This is about to become almost impossible to find on this planet. This very simple thing that they take for granted on this other planet, water. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is pretty, not too overly clever. It's pretty simple, but it's saying a lot with something very simple, like how appreciative you can be of something as simple as water when all of a sudden it's stupid hard to find. Yeah. Um, there, and there were, there were lots of interesting quiet moments in the movie. Um, and it, and it took its, it took its time with the visual storytelling. Um, I really like, I think we spend like, I think we spend almost five minutes in silence with just uh, Paul and the lady Jessica and just, mm -hmm. just wandering in the desert you know, over the course of like a couple of days. Um, and I thought, I thought that was very effective. Um, the problem is that this movie is so easy to get bored with 
because the art director appears to be colorblind. In Every, everything is gray or black. There is no color in this oh. movie whatsoever. It may mm. as well have been in black and white. Uh, I didn't like, I just didn't think uh, any, I didn't think any of the color choices were interesting and everything felt very samey, which is mm -hmm. a shame because there's some really good designs in terms of like the ornithopter and those zeppelins that pick up the, uh, the spice collectors and stuff like that. All like it, they're very distinct in their own way and used very effectively, but they're mm -hmm. just not interesting to look at. No. Um, when and this really comes to a head for me whenever um, the Atreides are getting attacked on Arrakis by the Harkonnen and Emperor's forces, there's three major factions fighting on this planet. I don't, I can't tell them apart. Yeah. Oh, okay. I could tell. I could tell the uh, the Shatican. The only way I can tell them apart is the Shatican and the Harkonnen people keep yelling. <laughs> before they attack what are they and yelling they're, they're yelling their names oh right <laughs> like they're, they're literally yelling shatakan and harkonnen and the other side is yelling Akrides. i guess it's I, I guess they're expecting people to be watching the battle and they're trying to sell t-shirts it's kind of like dragon ball z you need yeah. to know what a power ball is or you need you need to know what a spirit bomb is you need to know what a destructo disc is these are touchstones that are important for the audience of the massacre. And not only were the colors so stupid similar, but the, the outfits were also very similar. Yes. And I, I could understand in, in the lore of the universe why that would need to be if you're mass producing armor for an inter-house army here, why they would need to be so generic, sure. But, dude, give them some sort of distinguishing features. I thought the Shadowkin had like a had like a dome helmet, or were those the spacers? This is this is how generic they were. I don't remember. Okay. To me, um, in, in in my very simple brain, they're they're very almost the same. I didn't understand why anybody was wearing practical armor of any kind. Um, oh, because they have the shields? Because they have the shields. They're far more effective. Like anything that can get through one of those shields can get through the armor. Absolutely anything. Um, were they worried about scraping their knees and shoulders and faces? I, I really like the shields. Because, and I know they, they've been a thing since the original, but I really like the shields because to me, they were like the shield that you would have in a video game. Yes. <laughs> and it, it, you lose it. It kind of fizzles out. And then when you get hit, like there's that red tint it around flashes the screen. <laughs> yeah. So in case you didn't know, you're about to die. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what the shields did in the movie. They like flash kind of that bluish green tint whenever you hit it. But then whenever you pierce it, it goes reddish tint. Yeah. Like, no, oh, that was okay. a very that was yeah. a very effective uh, vi um, uh, visual tool for uh, for the movie, um, and once again, the only time that any kind of color is used, they use the most basic combination: blue is good, red is bad. 
um, but it's fine. I I like the um, when whenever Paul this is one of the beginning scenes of the movie when they're on Arrakis. Uh, Paul is in that room by himself in that little seeker drone. The hunter seeker. Yeah, the hunter seeker goes into the room trying to get him. And uh, they later on they find, oh, okay, it was this guy that was buried in this wall before we got here, but he's dead now. I I yeah. like I like that so much because it highlights that they're in this uber advanced society wh- where even though they don't have like Trek level computers, mm-hmm. they still have some pretty advanced stuff. And a guy still has to hide in a wall like a hundred yards away from his target to yeah. be able to like use an RC remote to control a little uh, two centimeter dart. With a very primitive camera. That's the thing about the Hunter Seeker. That's why it had so much trouble finding Paul is because it has a teeny tiny little camera on it and it's difficult to see what's going on. So mm-hmm. the pilot just waits for movement and then, and then runs right into it. Um, but that guy hiding in the wall, I really did like that too. And it highlights one of the important themes of Dune. And that is that people are disposable. Um, because you look at, uh, you, you look at how like every, everybody's job is in, is in service to the emperor. And, mm-hmm. and for some of them, actually, I would say for all of them, it's, it's not their job. It is their absolute lifestyle every single day. Mintats, you know, they are basically slaves to their occupation meant to be, you know, just like smartphones for mm-hmm. the uh, for the people they serve um, and the people they serve, they serve the emperor and he's always, you know, pitting uh, pitting them again uh, against one another. Um, you've got uh, Dr. Yui, who was uh, uh, who was straight up. Um, brainwash to be uh, to be completely loyal to the emperor has spe- has special training um you have uh, you have the Bene, uh, the Bene Gesserits, uh you know who literally uh who literally are a death cult who kill their own before they're allowed in and at the center of all of it is money mm-hmm. and that's very very interesting the spice is money and that is what everyone is killing one another for that's what they'll sacrifice absolutely anything for and the the spice melange is a um is an analog for oil in the absolutely and once i made that really easy connection i was like (gasps) did you notice the planet's name arrakis yeah remind you of any place that you may have uh, seen on a map yeah yeah i mean and yeah, like the, ireland and like... <laughs> <laughs> um and that was that was one thing uh, you and i were talking about um like how how middle eastern um and all of the uh and, and all of the um islamic ideas that are uh, that are put into this and um we were talking with my brother jeremy about how you know people are like really gung ho and like it's a it's it's a it's always a great thing to have inclusion in um, in media, um, but I th- I'm worried that people are going to get disillusioned 
when either they read the book or the second movie comes out and we learn that this movie is not about nice people doing nice this, this story is not about nice people doing nice things everyone's a villain in this i don't think that's the way it's going to go yeah because <laughs> in, in in the part 1 the word jihad isn't mentioned at least don't remember that it was uh, i thought they did did they i think they did i'd be incredibly surprised i'll have to go back and rewatch it but um yeah that's not mentioned i don't get any of the very religious zealot islamic overtones that the either the original had or the parts of the book that i've read had mm. um because there's a lot yeah um uh, and well, like, and well, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna um, ex expand on this a little further. Is that you know we have, uh, you know, we have the the Fremen who in uh, who in the book are really uh, are really built up to be the heroes, mm -hmm. um, and they have and they have a lot a lot of Islamic um, um, a, a lot of Islamic traits about them, um, but even they fall short in the story because they're manipulated by the Bene Gesserits for hundreds of years right. to believe in this prophecy that's absolute bunk and, you know and, and at the end of the, <clears throat> and at the end of the book they fall in behind this messianic figure to start a holy war yeah or at least partake in a holy war that Paul tries to prevent from happening but as his powers increase he realizes that every step he takes to protect himself and his mother is a step towards ensuring that the holy war that he doesn't want to happen will happen. Yeah. And in the end, Paul is not a good guy. No. He he very much is a, a huge cog in the mechanism that begets this holy war. Yeah, and I think it's really it's really important to re to remember that uh, because a lot of people look at this as a uh, as a white savior story, um, mm. and uh, and it is um, it's a it is a um, uh, it, it is a damning critique of the trope itself. It's like look at what these outsiders did to these perfectly did to these perfectly happy people, mm -hmm. you know. They were just hanging out in the desert, and then they were endlessly manipulated into something ugly and violent. And it's Paul's fault, and we all have to remember that before we go rushing to buy the toys, <laughs> because that's because you're right. They're not going to do that story. Um, they're no. you know they're they're going to be they're going to be selling toys and optioning on Netflix. Um, no, I, they, I, I can, they want a movie can, franchise and can, happy and a happy meal guarantee that <laughs> almost all of the the religious overtones are going to be played down stupid amount of hard um all being a bad guy anti-hero at best in the end if they do end the story with part two and not go into part three with him killing the emperor and saying all right i, I guess we're going to war now but hey cute right like what? That's, <laughs> so happy movie time that's yeah. that yeah happy movie time is what we really need right now <laughs> I, I, the, nothing challenging nothing interesting the, the way i'll be fine with that move that part two ending if they do decide to wrap up 
the the story of the first book with the ending of part two is if they do it in a way to where you walk away going, well, that wasn't a happy ending at all. Right. That's the point of the book because it leads into more books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also like, as, as I understand, I don't know. I don't know much beyond uh, the, uh, the first book, but things don't get happier. No, (laughs) No, things things don't get more heroic or playful. No, things get much worse. People turn to worms. Nice. That's what what I, that's what I signed up for. The first time I saw a worm, I was like, why wasn't Paul a worm? Come on. Little Polly worm. Polly worm. Polly worm. That sounds like a nineties comedian. Polly worm. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Who currently has to do six shows a day in Vegas. What did you think of the design of the sandworm in this movie versus the one in the in the previous iterations? Um, or the book illustration, for that matter. There was something. I don't want to get too crass here. Um, but um, but you're right. It looked like one. Have you ever seen an uncircumcised penis? Not now. You have thanks to Dune twenty twenty one. That comes with spikes and everything. Lined, lined with razor sharp teeth. Yes. Um, I. It, whenever I saw the thing come out of sand, I was like, "So its mouth is just perpetually open, so it's just constantly swallowing sand." It doesn't seem to bother it. I guess not. Uh, they may be uh, geophagic, because uh, I mean, the 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 spoilers. The worms produce the sand. Uh, uh, the the worms produce the spice. So mm-hmm. it, you know, they don't have a manufacturing plant. That's their poop. <laughs> so they must be eating yeah. sand and pooping spice. And we need it to for interstellar travel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sandworm poop. That's how um, we make the thing, the world go round. Very much, very, very much like our own society in many ways. Yes, we. Well, we except need, not. Well, I mean, argument for that could be, it, check it out because we need oil for pretty much everything we do, right? Well, we need, debatable, but current, under our current systems, yes. Yes, it almost all of the current systems we need it for. Uh, it and its byproducts for electronics, makeup, clothes, uh, furniture, housing, uh, to say nothing of transportation, which is yeah. what most people think that it's that's its only usage mm-hmm. at first at first glance. They don't understand that you can only buy makeup if there's oil production. Mm. no yeah no i get it um the this uh the spice uh the spice melange has one up on oil um and that is that you can consume it directly and yes. and freak out listening to old zeppelin albums which is really that's, what the book's about that's a pretty big one up that's like a <laughs> that's like a michael jordan dunking on uh, you know, Alan Iverson. That's a pretty big one up. 
I, would you say I would, a, I would say a dunking Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. I just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. It's all right. Um, uh, what What was your overall rating for the for this stinker? Um, I would give it. Um, I I would give it a six out of ten. Really? Yeah, it's not a terrible movie. It it pales in comparison to the original story. Mm -hmm. Um, There are definitely more interesting looking films and I think they could have picked a lot better lead uh, or at least they could have done a lot more with uh, Timothy Chalamet. I don't, I haven't seen him in anything else, but you know, everybody has potential. Everyone has good performance in them somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was effective. It was good storytelling. You know, it, it is what it is. I suggest I suggest visiting the book if you're in any way interested in this story you'll get a lot more out of it. You know what I think was a better Dune than 2021's Dune? Back to the Future 3. Jupiter Ascending. God, no, come on. Yep. No, you stop that. Yep, yep, yep. That is an incorrect opinion. There's more color. There, <laughs> there is at least emotion. Uh, there's the the politics are there. It, mind you, all of this is stupid. Like it, it's all done on the the acting is so. There's it's, Meg. It's so funny. Yeah, I know. She's, I actually like Mila Kunis, but it's it's the same problem with Zendaya. They don't have the voice for it. You no, know. she's she's one of the worst. But her her acting in this is she literally has a line whenever Channing Tatum's character tells her that he's genetically spliced with like canine DNA, uh-huh. and she goes, "Dogs, I've always loved dogs." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> come on, you can't do better, writers." Was that well? Was that there's there's a good there's a, uh, just like there's a good performance in everybody. There's a good way to read every to read any line, um, and that could that could have been really cute, where she's just where she's like embarrassed for him, but she's like dogs. I've always liked dogs. Like it's okay. It's all yeah. right, buddy. Sure, it, you you can stretch that and and. Yeah try to make that excuse for as much as possible and maybe it works but the entire movie is like that and And you like and you like that movie more than dune 2021 i did oh my goodness all right it's got a random dragon lizard person who's eddie redmayne's right hand man and we don't know anything about him He's a dragon lizard person. He's just he's just there. He delivers a line or two. He gets yelled at by Eddie Redmayne, and I feel bad for him. But that's I in that like five seconds that that happens in that ridiculous scene where Eddie Redmayne goes from like negative two to twenty in terms of like what what he's doing in in that moment. He goes just energy. And then he starts screaming out of nowhere. I felt more engaged with that dragon lizard butler person than I did feeling engaged or emotionally invested in any of the acting in Dune 2021. 
here's my suggestion like get like a picture of that dragon person and put them in, put it in a locket so that whenever you're watching a movie you don't like you can just look down and remind yourself and then you'll be in a much better mood because apparently that's all you need I can look down and remind myself that Jupiter Ascending is a garbage movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can dig it. I, I would give Dune 2021 maybe a five. Uh, that's an average score. That's, a, that's an aver- average score. There's worse movies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's way worse movies. But uh, just just like Eternals. I gave Eternals a five, too. But I would watch Dune 2021 before I watched Eternals. I haven't seen Eternals. I don't it's, know what it is. It's awful. It's just it's Marvel's Justice League Power Rangers movie about having a debate over abortion. Okay, that's what it is. That sounds that there's there sounds like it sounds like there's a good movie in there somewhere. It's a weird movie. There's <laughs> a, a really weird movie in there. But I I think that is all the time we have. Indeed. Uh, for this one so i'll let you go do whatever it is you needed to do i gotta go but, to work oh you're working oh, okay uh-huh. actually have a life you jerk uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> well uh get out of here my dude and i will talk to you later uh thank you all for tuning in for more sci-fi unchained stick around for more but for now live long and prosper my friends and don't forget to pound sand I was going to say the spice must flow, but you know, that's a, that's a way better way to end this. Hey, if you get one, you get the other. I promise you that. Goodbye, everybody.